Hi there, folks, and welcome to NTI Japan's Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima again. Thanks for joining us today. Great to have you with us. And just before we start, quick reminder about one of our sponsors, Alex Watanabe from Snaps.talk Photography, super professional, super affordable photographer and videographer based in Tokyo. And he's the man to turn to if you've got any special event coming up family event, business event, if you need high-resolution photos for your company brochures or for your website, or if you just want a feel-good kind of personal photo portfolio for your next modeling gig application or just for your social media profiles, Alex is your guy. Again, very affordable, very professional, beautiful work, which you can check out on this episode show notes. We'll link to his Instagram accounts and to a photo gallery for our own seminar, which he took for us last year. So hit him up on snaps.talk at gmail.com. That's snaps as in picture.talk, T-O-K, at gmail.com. He'll sort you out, guaranteed. Okay, so today, here's another rare kind of conversation that we don't often dive into here on the podcast. We regularly talk about investment properties, holiday homes, uh, hospitality, Airbnb, commercial properties, but we very rarely feature a conversation with anyone uh, who's actually buying their own home to live in here in Japan. And this isn't because we don't hear from these buyers or that we don't assist them. We definitely do. But simply because homeowner uh, buyers tend to be a bit more private and publicity shy when it comes to laying down their lives on the airwaves, which is totally understandable. But we've been fortunate enough this week to actually speak with one of these buyers and potential clients who didn't mind us recording and publishing the conversation, which we promptly did. So I think this should be really good info for anyone out there who's in the market for a family home uh, here in Japan. This guy's just about to move to Tokyo next year, and we've spoken about a whole lot of topics um, from purchase criteria, how they differ from investment properties to owner-occupied properties, uh, purchase, sale costs, mortgages, insurance, maintenance, property tax, so on and so forth. So really good chat. The audio quality on his end of the line is a little bit low, but hopefully good enough to understand the questions and his end of the conversation. So I hope you enjoy and find some value in it, and I shall see you again on the other side. All right, go for it. So you're looking for a, a home to live in, is that correct? It's not an investment property you're talking about. Yeah, it's it, it's it's a little tricky because um, the way I would do it is that I would try to take out the loan um, according to the job that I have currently. Then I plan to move to Tokyo. Um, you know, um, so for example, like you normally, you know, in Japan, the contracts go from April to the end of March. So I was thinking, you know, in order to qualify for the loan, obviously you're going to have to uh, use your income. Um, and so with my current job, the income is strong. Um, so I was thinking of applying for a loan um, around December or January with the plan to move to Tokyo in April after I um you know, resign from the job and um, in at the end of March. Okay, so, so when now. you move, you're also going to be changing jobs, are you? Yes. Okay, and that, um, well, I don't think once they approve the loan, I don't think they do any further tests down the track, so that shouldn't be a huge issue. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where are you living now and how long have you been at your current job? I'm living, at, I'm living in the Hokuriku area, um, and I've been at my current job for over 20 years. Okay, my wife is from Fukui. That's that's a nice coincidence. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm at, uh, I live in Toyama, so um, 
pretty close in the Hokuriku area. Okay, so you've got the stable income history that they probably want to look at, right? Exactly. Okay, and then have you actually spoken to any lenders to see that you qualify? Not yet. I have looked at um, a few websites, the, mainly the Shinsei, the Tokyo Star Bank, and uh, Prestige. Prestige? Prestia. Yeah, so I, um, I've looked at three of them. I looked at their qualifications. Um, you know, all of them, I, I, I would qualify, I, I believe, in terms of the minimum income requirement. And, you know, the job stability part, that part shouldn't be a problem. Um, and so, yeah, I looked at that. The only problem is, you know, is the, the um, age. But it seems like when I checked a couple of years ago, the max was they wanted you to repay the loan by the time you're 70. But I saw recently on Shinsei Bank, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, that they had, you know, until you're 80. Of course, I don't want to be paying the loan until I'm uh, repaying the loan until I'm 80. But that gives me a little more wiggling room, so to speak. Yep. Can, you know, so I, can I ask how old you are now? I mean, I'm in my late ni- uh, 40s, 49, actually. So, Well, most loans would be over by the time you're 70 anyway, wouldn't they? I would imagine, yeah, because I wouldn't, I'm not planning to take that 35 one, that's for sure. And I was hoping, you know, with the amount of savings that I've accumulated over the years, um, you know, I, I was hoping to try to go for something like 20 or 25 years. Yep. Um, um, but yeah, that's the target. So... Um, yeah, that's what I'm aiming for. So, um, and I was looking into, a, you know, I, I thought it was interesting because, um, you know, most, most of the, uh, the video, YouTube videos and the podcasts that I've seen on your channel, uh, not all, but it seemed like a lot were, you know, people trying to buy like the cheapest house for the, the cheapest price and, and, you know, um, you know, $30,000 or something. But I was, well, it might be interesting to do the complete opposite of that and, you know, like buy something that, you know, like it's like the one I um, suggested to you that's like in, in, in dollars is over uh, close to like $450,000. So it'd be on the opposite uh, side of the, that, you know, the continuum. Like it seemed like most people were like buying like the cheaper properties, but I, I, I thought it, the podcast might be interesting if we did something a brand new Um you know, in the Tokyo area for about 450000 And, you know, I, I wanted to ask questions about that because it, um, it didn't seem like there are a lot of people going that route. Is well, that a mistake? There definitely are. It's just the, the, um, the conversations that we highlight on the podcast are usually geared more towards investors. Okay, I see. So when they do buy something, um, something that's pricier, let's say over one hundred and fifty or two hundred thousand dollars, they're usually looking at um, small buildings. So something oh, like uh, four to eight units um, on a reasonable sized uh, land plot that would be four, five, six, seven hundred thousand. Um, but again, these are investment properties, so it's totally different criteria. The people that look at the cheaper, smaller, older ones usually look at them because the investment yield tends to be higher percentage-wise. I see. Um, so when you're looking at a when you're looking at a house to purchase, it's um, it's quite a different set of criteria if you're going to be living in it yourself. Uh-huh. I mean, you could, of course, uh, if at any point you don't live there, you could, of course, uh, rent it out. But that's not the major uh, consideration that you're taking. It, um, that's not the major thing you consider when you purchase. You're looking for a place to um, that you know you feel comfortable living in. So it's a, it's a totally different conversation. Uh-huh. Um, and also that also 
brings me to the point that it's a little bit um, more challenging to advise someone on a place to live in because the main criteria would be just basically whether you like it and you like the location, you like the layout of the house for your own personal use. So um, I wanted to go over some of the, the, the purchase the purchase costs if I were to do it um, you know, as um, a person living in the house and what would the reoccurring costs, would they, they be different um, for you know, somebody living in the property versus um, investing? Yep. Um, well, the, um, the purchase costs are quite similar. So it's basically, um, depending on the price of the property, let's say somewhere between uh, three and a half to five and a half percent for the realtor fee. Okay. Um, and the budget that you're looking at, it's probably going to be closer to three and a half or four percent. And then the legal and registration costs vary depending on the official evaluation of the property. If you're buying a brand new house like the listing uh, sample that you sent to me, that's probably going to be pretty close to market price. Um, so you can assume, again, for this budget, probably something like uh, between 2 to 4% legal and registration fees. Let's call it 5% worst case. And then uh, your purchase tax, which is a statement that you get um, anywhere between 6 to 24 months after settlement, is usually, again, it varies depending on the official eval, but it's usually about 2.5% of the purchase price. And then if you use someone like us to facilitate the purchase or conduct due diligence or um, attend and, and sign documents on your behalf and so forth, that's another... Um, similar to the realtor, so another in your in your budget, something like three and a half percent, three point three. Okay, so um, I see. So that would so it would. I mean, if uh, so, without the buyer's agent, we're looking at like about uh, let's say roughly about thirteen thirteen percent of the purchase price. Yeah, probably closer to 10% without the buyer's agent, maybe up to 13, 14 if you use someone like us. Okay, 14, Yeah, yeah. So, and then on, on ongoing management, if you own the entire structure, there's not any monthly fees that you need to pay anyone. Um, and with a brand new construction, you wouldn't have much to uh, maintain uh, in the course of the first 10 years or so. Following that, once it gets to about 10 years, it's probably a good idea to put aside um, conservatively something like 10%. Um, sorry, I was going to say 10% of your income, but you're not going to have any income. Uh, so let's call it um, a few thousand dollars, maybe a couple of thousand dollars a year uh, just for maintenance, repairs, that sort of thing. As the structure gets older, um, especially if it's, uh, again, like you sent to me, something that's based, a uh, wooden based structure or steel framed wood, um, those, uh, those expenses tend to build up more. So once you reach 20, 25 years of age, you're probably looking at a bit more um, maintenance expenses on an annual basis. Um, the official lifespan for tax purposes, I think, is 27 or 28 years during which they consider the structure to have totally depreciated if it's a wooden structure. Yeah. 
Um, that's not to say that um, you're going to have to completely rebuild the place after 28 years, but maintenance does tend to build up um, after that. So, for example, the house that we lived in before we moved to where we're currently living um, was about 30, 35 years old. And then we started looking at um, expenses like um, structural maintenance, do the roof again, termites, um, exterior, and that all started to build up quite significantly. So there was something like, um, I'd say it started coming up to something like four or $5,000 a year just in maintenance, at which point we personally decided to uh, move into a mansion rather than uh, rather than focus on that. But um, it's entirely up to you. I mean, depending on where you'll be wanting to live, it's hard to uh, I guess it's hard to estimate in advance twenty twenty five years. Sure. Um, but they do the expenses do tend to build up. Uh, having said that, if you've purchased in a good place and um, the location that you've highlighted for me in that sample listing does seem to be like a very good area. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So in those kinds of places, um, again, no crystal ball here, but it's far more likely that the uh, land at least will retain its value over time. Uh-huh. Um, so you're probably going to be well-placed to either refinance for innovation or rebuilds or anything of that sort, or, Simply, if you are that way inclined to simply um, sell the property and purchase another one. Um, but that's, again, w- w- when you're an owner-occupier, that there's a whole different set of criteria that comes into play, whether you like the place, you want to stay in the neighborhood, whether you're interested in moving to anywhere else. I mean, you probably don't know to say that now for 20 years ahead, but even then, it wouldn't be really a financial decision. It'd be more a life choice sort of decision. So that would totally depend on your individual circumstance. Sure. And then, so since we, since you hit on the topic of like, if I decided to move out, so with, so with the moving out cost, say for example, I did decide to like sell the house. Would the cost for selling the house be the same as the cost for purchasing on average? Um, no, the legal and registration fees are borne by the buyer. So it's going to be at least uh, 2 to 4% cheaper. Um, in most cases, all you'd need to pay um, is the realtor fee. And again, if using somebody like us, um, maybe another fee on top of that. So worst, worst case, um, if you need uh, somebody to represent you beside the realtor, worst case, maybe 6 7%. And if you're only using uh, the Realtor, then somewhere again between 35 to 4% for that budget. So, again, uh, so if I were to sell, with, uh, sell the house using a buyer's agent, then that would be 6 to 7%? Yes, if you're using somebody like us, not a buyer's agent, but somebody who represents you as far as a consultation, negotiation, an actual signing of documents and so forth goes... I haven't asked you, but how's your um, how's your written business Japanese, the kanji and keigo and so forth? Uh, the written for the speaking part is I I, I I'd say I'm about ninety percent fluent, and then the kanji I'd say maybe fifty sixty. I mean I you know I, I I work in education, so also the educational kanji I I I can more or less recognize because I work with it every day. I have to. 
um, do communications in Japanese, uh, both by mail and um, speaking. So, um, yeah, I do have a, a decent, uh, I, I do have the uh, Japan, the second level. Um, a lot of my friends tell me that my speaking is definitely first, uh, the number one level, but it's just, you know, that I, I, my grammar and, and other parts um, prevent me from getting the one. So, I mean, I've tried it once, but yeah, but I, you know, that, well, a long time ago, but, you know, my, my, my kanji and my ability to read has, has improved every year, you know, because I come up, I see new kanji every year, but I do see a lot of reoccurring kanji within the educational um, kind of uh, framework. And so, like, most of those kanji, I can read. And then, you know, like, recently I've been doing a lot of, like, like the, um, the house that I sent you, but a lot of those sites, you know, you can translate, you can switch to English translation on Google, uh, with Google. So um, I tend to look at them in English. But if I had to look at the contract, um, um, I, you know, like some of the, con obviously, you know, I um, just put out there, I do have a house, uh, currently have a house. I own a house in America. And so, I mean, I am familiar with the general contracts. I know they're not the same, but... Um, you know, I, I do have an idea of what the process is like uh, for buying a house. Um, I actually refinanced my loan this summer, and so I went through the loan process again uh, the second time. And so I do have a kind of an idea um, of the... So, you know, even though it's in Japanese, I do have kind of uh, an idea of the framework. Although it's not the same, I do know, you know, um, what things need to happen you know like i know um that at the end of the loan you know i i need to make sure that i have the deed to the house and the title is clear and it's mine and there's no liens on the house and so on and so forth but um yeah I'm, uh, i again i don't know all those terms um I, I i um in japanese and sometimes i might not be able to read the kanji but i'm pretty quick on picking up on things if if i have the you know the kind of background Yep. Uh, having purchased already. Yeah. Well, the reason I'm asking is not um, not for practical um, expertise in that. It's just that legally, the realtors who are conducting the sale are not allowed to uh, conduct a, a contract signing meeting and so forth with you unless you're 100% fluent in the legal and financial terms and the kanjis that are going to be included in those documents. Um, they've got a Taken, which is a government-certified official document uh, reader or presenter, and they're not allowed to conduct any of these business transactions uh, with somebody who's not 100% fluent and can um, understand everything that's written in those documents. I see. Um, this, so, th I mean, for us, that's the main reason that you might need somebody like us, or alternatively, if you've got a... A native Japanese or 100% um, legal business fluent uh, Japanese person who can accompany you as an interpreter, and then you probably don't need somebody like us, but otherwise you might need us um, just to legally conduct the transaction. I see. Yeah, so in that case, I probably might need uh, either yeah you or some uh, company like yours to help me. Yeah, because I don't, I wouldn't, I, I definitely would not be able to uh, understand all those legal terms. Okay. And especially if it's conducted in that in that format. Okay, so from that aspect, let's take into consideration something like worst case thirteen percent purchase cost and uh, seven eight percent sale cost. So, so thirteen percent for the 
during the purchase cost, and then um, seven to eight uh, percent for the sales. Worst case, it'll probably come up to something like eleven uh, percent and maybe seven percent. But let's take it on a worst case basis. I see. Okay, so which which I mean, which will bring the purchase cost to you know, in addition, uh, like fifty-five thousand uh, at thirteen percent. Um, and then probably half of that um, for the sales. Correct. So, so, you know, with the purchase, so I have a couple questions. So the fire insurance, is that included in the purchase cost? Um, the insurance is something that we take into account on the um, upkeep or management, not for purchase costs. Okay. It is cheaper. So like it is cheaper if you purchase it five years in advance. So then it would be an expense that you would be paying on purchase. But then every five years you have to pay it again. So we factor it in under management. Oh, I see. Okay, because I was looking at some other YouTube videos and they actually calculated the fire insurance into the purchase cost, and it was like two hundred and fifty thousand yen. And I and I was wondering if that. I, I was thinking, wow, is that for the you know, like one year, two years. Um, so I was wondering if that's, if I, yeah, I didn't see the insurance in your example, but I, I have seen insurance calculated into the purchase cost in other examples on YouTube. So well, I mean, factoring it into the purchase cost is a little bit misleading because it's not an expense that is just a one-off. You do have to renew it every five years. Um, let me, I'll just have a quick look at something similar that we've helped somebody purchase recently and I'll tell you what the insurance, I think, um, from memory, I think that's probably a five year, uh, policy, but just give me a split sec. I'll just quickly have a look. I mean, if I'm just using that, uh, that example that I, that I told you about 250,000, uh, yen and if. If, in fact, it is a five-year policy, that means the monthly bill would be like 40, about $42 or like 4,100 yen. Does that kind of sound correct? Uh, monthly? Yeah. Um, if you use 250000 over 60 months. Yes, I think, I think that's about right. But I'm just, I'm really trying to open this Excel. Oh, here it comes. Hang on, hang on. He's almost with us. Okay, so I'm looking at a structure that is um, 125 meters in size, so slightly larger than yours. Yours was 91 from memory. Yes, that's right. And he's paying for insurance. He's paying eight thousand six hundred a month. So yes, I think the four four to five thousand sounds reasonable for your size uh, structure. Okay. So that's most likely they factored in five years of fire insurance. Uh huh. Um, so, but again, I wouldn't count it as a purchase cost because um, it's something that you'll have to pay again and again whenever it expires. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. So the, that's that's fire earthquake insurance is a different insurance. Right? No, no, that's included. Oh, that's included. Yeah, so fire, fire, earthquake, and other natural disasters are usually all the single policy. Okay. Um, it also covers tsunami to the extent that tsunamis are usually caused by earthquakes, so they fall under the earthquake damages. Oh. 
Um, the coverage is never 100%, though. So you might be looking at something like 60%, 70%. Um, again, it, it varies depending on the official evaluation, but you're not looking at 100% coverage in most cases. Bringing it up to 100% or close to it would usually cost a lot more. Uh-huh. So yeah. the, the frame of thinking is that by the time anything happens, you'd hopefully have already gotten some value out of the property by then. I see. Um are there any deductibles on these insurance policies? Um, they're all they're all deductible. All, all of your purchase costs are deductible. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, like you know, like in America, on certain incidences, um, I would have to pay. Like I for, I don't have it in front of me, but like I um I, I think it's I think it's hurricane maybe um, hurricane. I'd have to pay the first three thousand dollars, and then after I pay that first three thousand dollars, then the insurance will kick in. That's the deductible. Oh, you mean your excess. Okay. Yes. Yes. That, um, that, that applies to these policies as well. It depends again, depends again on the individual policy and the property, but there's always a a certain amount that you'll have to pay out of pocket. Yes. But it's usually going to be minute compared to the uh, coverage. Okay. Okay. I got, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. Like, I I don't know if $3,000 is minute compared to my coverage, but I haven't used it yet. So I'm not really yeah, I know they do have deductibles in America, um, so they do, so it's the same in Japan. So, um, Ziv, I wanted to ask you, since you were talking about, like, a lot of these things are, like, dependent on the valuation. I heard that that came up in our conversation a lot. So, um, with the valuation, I know, um, I believe the city ward offices determine that valuation. Correct. When they issue your property tax statement every year, then they'll base the property tax on what they believe the valuation is. And that'll be that'll appear in the statement. Yeah. So, like for example, in America, um, you can go online and you can go to any county. Like my my property is in a county. Um, I can go to that county um, website and I can look up. You know, I can punch in the address, and it, it's it's public record for all the those properties in the county to to show. How much um, the tax, the property taxes were uh, in 2019, 18? I don't know how far back it goes, but you can see it. That's public information. Is that the same in Japan? Um, it is public information, but it's not as easily accessible. Japan being Japan, a lot of it is not online still. And Tok- Tokyo might be a bit different. I-, I think there are some resources in Tokyo that you can access online. But in any case, you can always just um, stroll over to the local ward office and ask to uh, receive those uh, historical statements. That they're always available. Oh, okay, so you can get yeah because yeah I was you know because that seems to be like the mystery key because I hear that in a lot of other videos they're like oh it all depends on the valuation and I just thought to myself well the the valuations in America you can see them very easily that's so even before you purchase you can go online even if I um, like I'm thinking of buying something in Washington uh, America in Washington state in Clark County and if you go to the Clark County website you can punch in the address all the information comes up it shows the the last purchase price and so on and so forth so um, I was I was wondering if you know if that but thank you for responding to that I mean it's not uh, readily available online yet, but if I go to the office, so yeah, so if I went to the that uh, the county office and then I asked them, you know, like to see the property, um, the property tax for two thousand eight, two thousand nineteen, I could get that information. You could, but if you're looking at a particular property, the easiest route would be to just ask the uh, seller and the uh, realtor to provide the last statements. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, because that would that would give me because I I heard on some um, podcasts or some YouTube videos that the um you know it's the the sales price and the actual actual um, price that they use to calculate the property taxes can be really uh, can be a huge difference. Correct. Have you seen that in the past? Yes, that's that's very correct. It's usually um. They reevaluate every few years and then they run averages. So the closer, the closer you are to the last um, calculation, the more accurate it would be. But uh-huh. there's always at least a slight difference, and particularly in areas which have gone up or down in value, but the government valuations haven't quite caught up with market price yet. And then you could see some very big differences. But in general, does, is it actually, so is the property calculation for the property taxes lower than the sales price or, or higher? Depends on what's happened in the area. So we've seen, for example, uh, Sapporo, for example, took a hit after the uh, 2011 uh, and the Fukushima thing. Uh-huh. And there we saw quite high property tax statements and quite high evaluations because um, the market took a hit, but the government haven't updated yet. Okay. And in other places... Um, let's say Fukuoka, which is sort of a rising star, it was the other way around. So the mar- the official evil haven't quite caught up with market prices, which were shooting up. I see. So it really depends on the uh, location. In Tokyo specifically, they're probably more, they probably got their finger on the pulse a little bit more. So the difference would be smaller, but it would definitely exist always. Yes. I got it. So, I, you know, I know, I know we're on 30 minutes. So I just want to... Um, so, say, say, for example, I go through the purchase, and then, you know, the purchase came out to 13% um, of the sales price. Then, you know, I, per- I did the realtor, I paid the realtor's fee, the legal, and all the registration things. Um, I hired you guys, for example, to uh, help me with the legal documentation. So, once all of that is clear, I get the keys, uh, the title, and the deed to the property is in my hand. So, after that... You know, like, so the monthly, of course, I'll have the mortgage fee, but what other fees um, will come on every month? Like, so the, the property tax, obviously, that, you know, that would be calculated later. And either, it's, like, I think my property taxes in America twice a year. So I don't know how they're going to calculate that, but I'm sure that'll, that'll be a, a cost that'll be coming up uh, either monthly uh, annually or semi-annually. Well, they give you a statement which you can pay uh, in one bulk payment or you can do it quarterly. It's up to you. Okay. So besides the, the, the loan and the property tax, what are the what are uh, like other reoccurring costs that, that will come up every month? Like, Is there anything else that you can think of besides the property tax and the loan? Not if you own the entire structure, no. The only thing would be maintenance, which again, if you're buying new for the first 10 years, there'd be very little of that. Um, depending on whether, uh, I don't know if, um, I mean, the one you sent to me only has a little um, garage parking concrete slab. But if you've got obviously any um, lawn or trees or anything, there might be a bit of gardening. Um, but otherwise, no, just normal living expenses, you know, internet, utilities, that sort of thing. Oh, okay. And, you know, so a lot of, I see a lot of these properties that are like, I, either they're being torn down and rebuilt, um, sometimes in, you know, like next to older homes. Are there any like red flags or anything that you would say be cautious about? Like if, you know, like your your house is brand new and the, 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 the adjacent lots are not new or the, uh, the left, you know, the right, the right side, you have a small little company and the left side, you have like a, another a property owner. Are there any kind of red flags that I know there's 
uh, there needs to be a certain distance from your um, zeros the name, but there needs to be a certain amount of meters between you and the road. Um, well, that's only an issue if you buy second hand, because then if you buy something that's 20 or 30 years old, then, then zoning uh, regulations might have changed since build. Yes. But if you're buying something new, that's obviously been built um, based ah, on, on current new. regulations. So that's not going to be an issue. Um, when you rebuild down the track, um, if regulations have changed, then you might need to leave the base intact and re reconstruct on top of the existing concrete base, which would make it a renovation rather than a rebuild. And then you wouldn't necessarily have to comply with new building regulations. Um, but I mean, I don't think they're going to change hugely in the big cities. They have changed a bit in the last 20, 30 years. But these days, if the property was built um, in the last, say, five or six years, then that's not going to be an issue at all. No. I see. Okay. And then I guess my last question would be, um, you know, with the coronavirus, do you, how do you anticipate the market moving uh, in Tokyo? Would you, do you think the... You know, like so. For example, I can't move right away. I don't expect the move to be uh, next April, next March, just because uh, um, I, I, it's too early. I, I still need more time to get all my stuff kind of organized. And so, at earliest, I'm looking at 2022 to um, make the big move. So I'll, I'll be making big decisions uh, about this time next year. But how do you see the market uh, moving in about a year? Um, well, Tokyo was bubbling up before Corona. It was um, very close to where it was pre-1990s bubble days. Yes. Um, and now the market is a lot softer. So if you do have an option at all, it's probably a good idea to uh, purchase or at least um, seal the deal and get the price locked in now if you can, especially now that they've got the vaccines coming. Uh-huh. Um, because now prices are a lot softer, uh, especially in Tokyo, Osaka, Yokohama and those kind of areas. Um, so if it's at all possible for you to to lock in a deal in the next few months, you're probably looking at a better price. Whether that will um, go up or down or remain stable once the uh, crisis uh, passes, I have no idea, unfortunately. Um, it looked like it was going up significantly for a long time, but then that never really, I mean, the economy was doing well, but it never really trickled down to salaries, which means that rents were also uh, quite uh, stagnant. Sure. Um, but for owner-occupier properties, uh, which is the ones that you're looking at, it's a bit of a different situation. It's just a matter of what people will agree to pay to live in that place rather than rental yields. So that market is a bit more fluid. So it probably has a bit more room to grow post-corona, and once they reannounce, uh, once they lock in the date for the Olympics, that's probably going to boost market up at least a little bit until then. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd say the next few months are a very good time to buy. Beyond that, um, anyone's guess, I wish I had a crystal ball, but I don't. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, great. Um, so, do you have any plans to host a conference in the near future, uh, anywhere in Japan, or are you doing most of the stuff just online? Well, we were planning another seminar for Osaka uh, just before Corona hit, but at the moment that's all on hold. Okay. Um, if if and when again the crisis passes, then yes, Osaka is probably we've done Tokyo, we've done Fukuoka, so Osaka is probably next on the list, and then we'll probably um, circle back to Tokyo again um, in the next two or three years. But um, again, everything's been put on hold at the moment, so it's hard to say. 
Okay, well, definitely keep me in the loop. And I, this was an awesome uh, talk. Uh, you know, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know you're a busy man. But um, I really enjoyed all the advice. And, um, yes, yeah, so, I, I mean, I still have a lot to consider. I mean, I'm going to crunch the numbers again. But um, I'm going to use the numbers that we talked about with the sales, um, um, a 13% uh, purchase cost, uh, 7% to 8% if in the event that I have to sell it the sales costs and then yeah i'll crunch the numbers and you know uh, i'll i'll keep you in the loop and let you know what's going on not a problem uh, just one thing that we haven't mentioned there is capital gains tax if your property actually ends up uh, netting you more than it did when you bought it yeah um if you sell it within five years from purchase that purchase that the uh, capital gains tax doubles it's probably not going to be an issue for you. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think there's going to be huge uh, upticks in price, um, at least in Tokyo in the next. I mean, it's pretty much gone up as far as it can before Corona. But just in case that does become an issue, there could be uh, something like uh, 20 to 25% uh, capital gains tax if you do net a profit. I, I Yeah. Okay, I figured that. Yeah, I think I saw that in your um, one of your uh, YouTube videos as well. So yeah, I'm I'm looking I'm looking at least five years, so uh, more like ten, but yeah, at minimum five years. So um, hopefully I'll, I'll be able to avoid that um, um, that capital gain. Yeah, yeah, look, I mean, capital capital gains are not a huge issue in Japan. To be perfectly honest, yeah. it's not really a capital gains uh, oriented environment. <laughs> yeah, um, but if it is, um, all, all all the more all, all the better for us, right? Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, fortunately, my, my first pro the property that I currently own, yeah, the, um, it's in a market where, you know, it appreciates a lot. So, um, yeah, so that's that's I know I know I'm not going to get much appreciation in Japan, but, you know, I, I want to live and I just want to enjoy try living in Tokyo. Um, it's been a dream and I've lived here for a long time, but I, I actually want to give Tokyo a chance, you know, and then decide what I want to do from there. It's a big difference, uh, Hokuriku to Tokyo. I think you'll enjoy that. Yeah, you know, I've been here for a long time, and I, I and the happiest times is when I go to Tokyo. <laughs> when I go to Tokyo often, so I, you know, I, I figured may, I may as well just you know make 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 it a, a lifestyle, and uh, you know where I don't have to get on the train, and I just step out of my door, and I'm there. So. Yeah. That's that. Yeah, that's the consideration right now. So, well, well hopefully yes, by um, next year or what, we'll be able to catch up for lunch or uh, drinks in Tokyo as well. Definitely, definitely, I would love that. Please let me know when you're in Tokyo, and I'll you know I'll try to see if I can arrange my schedule to come out there. Or if you do have that seminar in Osaka, I you know if I'm free, I would definitely like to come out and meet you in person there as well. Not a problem. I think you've joined our uh, mailing list, right? I saw that Pretty was exchanging a few emails with you on that. Yes, 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 I'm on there. So yeah, whatever, whenever you guys decide on doing it, uh, hopefully it comes through. And then yeah, I'll look at my schedule and I'll try to be out there. Brilliant. Okay. All right. Good it. speaking Thank with you. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. And, yeah, call me whenever, if you ever want to do another podcast. Shall do. Thank you. Okay. You take care. You Goodbye. too. Bye. All right. So there you go. Hopefully some good and valuable content for anyone out there who's in the process of moving to Japan or buying their first home here. And if you are in the process of moving to Japan, this is probably a good time to tell you again about our other sponsor, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener Hiroshi Shimizu. And he can help any of you out there who are in need of some advice, consultation or assistance and the process of applying for any kind of visa, whether it's a business visa, spouse visa, anything else. And also in the process of setting up a local company. So if you need a local company for the purpose of getting that business visa 
or to qualify for investment loans, which we've also discussed here on uh, quite a few occasions, or both, don't be shy, hit him up on info at h-shimizu-office.com. Or just pick up the phone, give him a call. That's plus 81 for Japan if you're calling from overseas or zero if you're calling from inside Japan, 92732-7755. And Shimizu-san, like Alex, is very affordable, very knowledgeable, already helped quite a few of our acquaintances, so he can definitely help you as well. So that's it from us for today, folks. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation that we've had. Do let us know if you did. Leave us a comment in the comment section if you found it in one of your social media feeds or a rating or review on the iTunes store, if that's where you happen to be tuning in from. We would love to know what you think. And if you'd like to be featured on the podcast and let the world know about your business here in Japan, or if you've got any sort of uh, product, service, or project that's somehow related to Japan that you want more people to know about, our sponsorship programs are very flexible and very affordable. Just ask us about them, and we'll give you the rundown. So we hope to have you with us next time. And until then, from all of us here at NTI, we wish you a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku! Thank you.